welcome. Thank you for joining us here at AmazingLove.org. And, uh, you know, it's been a dream of mine to reach people all across the world with a message of Jesus and his love. And so whether you're joining us from near or far, so glad that you're here. And we'd love to hear what God is doing in your life. So if he's blessed you by this ministry, please email us at impactatamazinglove at gmail.com. If you'd like to support this ministry and make sermons like this possible every week ongoing, please go to amazinglove.org and go to our giving tab. But now may God bless you. May he guide you. May he speak into your life and direct you all through the power of his love. Thank you. And uh, happy Valentine's Day once again. And uh, some of you enjoy a whole day dedicated towards love. Some of you say yucky, but whatever the case. I, uh, I thought I'd do an interesting poll. And uh, I wanted to just take a poll from the ladies because Valentine's Day is a ladies' day. Come on, let's face it. Um, and uh, so I wanted to see out of Valentine's Day gifts, which one is more popular? Would you prefer flowers, chocolate, or jewelry? Okay, so that's your options. Uh, raise a hand if you prefer flowers. Okay. Uh, chocolates, okay, and jewelry. Wow! <laughs> when every kiss begins with K, those are expensive kisses. My goodness, but uh, good, good to know. Good to know. Well, I was doing some research on uh, interesting Valentine's Day gifts, you know, what could you give? And I came across some interesting suggestions. Uh, you know, one of my favorites is a commercial for uh, this guy, uh, this like giant teddy bear that's like $200, you know, because that's what you need as an adult. Anyway, um, you know, just interesting. I saw an article uh, about, you know, bedazzled cell phone cases, um, perfume. One of the more interesting ones I came across, though, suggested to be given is uh, this one. Um, See, and a fitness gift is always a quandary to me because I'm not sure exactly what you're saying. You know, um, hopefully you're saying, I just want you to monitor your sleep, baby. I know how much sleep is important to you, and you better be getting those, you know, REMS, status, like any, you know what I'm saying, right? Uh, Forbes actually did an article on how you can sneak in a fitness uh, object like a watch. They said just buy them a smartwatch. So buy them an Apple watch, and it's included in there. You know, and so it kind of reminds me, have you ever been eating and they tried to sneak in the vegetables? Like it's supposed to be something that's junk and then they put vegetables on it and like, this is wrong. Just, if it's unhealthy, just keep it. Anyway, uh, so, so we talk about gifts. Regardless of gifts given or received or whatever, what we do know, it's an expression of love. And you may have at one point or another really enjoyed getting something, you know, uh, as an extension of love uh, from someone else. It makes you feel special. Again, it is a love language. Well, what we're talking about is how can we experience God's love? That, that's what we brought up last week. Let me catch you up. We, we asked, 
can I experience God's love? Because so often we just hear it, don't we? You're in church, you hear that God loves you. And by the way, if you're just visiting here today, I need you to know it is true, God loves you. Do you know that? He came into this world for you. He had you in mind when he died on the cross. He had you in mind to be saved, and he loves you more than you possibly know. He loves you. But how do you then take what you know and hear and, and experience it? That's what we want. It's kind of like a hug. You know, I, I like, and a hug is an experience of love, or a gift is an experience of love, because I can hug a Vermont teddy bear or whatever. I can wear something or smell something, and, and an experience of love. So, so what we talk about is the sacraments of baptism and communion. Last, last week we talked about baptism, and what we said about the sacraments is that they're tangible grace. You see, in baptism, you, you feel the water. It's an experience. When you come up to the Lord's Supper, as we celebrate today, you get to see, taste, and touch the bread and the wine, and this all as tangible grace. But you've got to love God's love language today. And, and are there any foodies in the building? Foodies? Okay, a few. Chicago's a foodie town. In fact, uh, I was on Apple iTunes looking at documentaries, and they did a documentary over this uh, downtown restaurant called uh, Grace. Now, Grace has, I guess, three Michelin stars. Has anyone heard of Grace? Maybe? Okay. And, uh, and the story about, like, Curtis Duffy, you know, and his family background, and a heartbreaking story. But anyway, he, he, he has some very artful displays of food. It's not just intense flavor-wise, but, but it's artistic on the plate. You know, and so it's a pretty awesome. What we have from God today maybe isn't like a three Michelin star worthy, you know, course. Uh, it's just a little wafer and some wine. But while it's not as artistic or flavorful, it sure surpasses in meaning. Because what we actually have, again, is this experiential knowledge of God's love. It is a way for you to be assured you are forgiven. Forgiven of that sin that's on your mind. Forgiven personally from God through his called servant as he gives um, that body and that blood. So that's what we want to talk about. And this really is a foodie love language. So anyway, um, with that, we've come to the conclusion of our series starting point. And I, I just wanted to catch us up. You can go online to catch up, but just to see where we've been. And, and, uh, and so a little bit of review. In week one, we learned that God exists and God is love. We talked about the galaxies, and as far as the galaxies go, that's how far God's love for us goes. Week two, we asked, is this love for us? And we found that God calls sinners. So if you're a sinner, God's love is for you. If you're a sinner, you're not disqualified. Rather, you're called by him to be loved by him. Week three, we wondered, how can I take what's in my head and get it in my heart? And we talked about faith. And so if you want to take what's in your head and get it in your heart, faith is what happens uh, as you stay connected to Jesus, as you stay uh, connected to the story of God, the word of God. We then asked, what about the rules? If we're not saved by following the rules, if we're sinners and saved by that, can we just do whatever we want? We said, no, we are now made free to serve all people. The rules still apply, not for our salvation, but out of thanks to God to serve all people. Um, last week, we talked about faith. And, and these lessons really have to do with week three and week five. We're talking about faith. We're talking about how do I take what's in my head about God and put it in my heart and how can I experience it more? And that, again, is what communion does. It takes what's in our head, what we hear, and puts it in our heart as we experience something that proves God's tremendous love for us. So with that, we're going to get into the words of our lesson. 
And about this miraculous meal, it is actually found four different places in Scripture. It is found in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and also in the book of 1 Corinthians. So if like this is your deal and you really want to know more about the Lord's Supper, those are the four places. There isn't a lot said about the Lord's Supper, and yet it's clear and it's able to be understood as we'll talk about. Uh, so we're going to get into 1 Corinthians 11, preach on it. Uh, let's turn there now. I invite you to follow along with me. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took cups, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone then ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread or drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Now, those sections, verses 27 through 29, if you've never read them before, might just, wow, I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know you could sin at communion. We'll talk about that a little bit. Also, that judgment thing, what is that talking about? It's not saying that you can go straight to hell if you do this wrong. That's not what it's saying. If you're an unbeliever, it might confirm your unbelief, though. And if you're a believer, you might be able to sin. Um, so we do understand these words, and, and we're going to dive in. Today is really more of a teaching day. And so I don't know how late you stayed up last night, but today is a practical teaching day. Uh, some of you might love that. Some of you might hate that. It is what it is. <laughs> and, uh, and so we're going to dive in, and, and we're going to cover three things. We're going to ask about the Lord's Supper. What is it? What is it not? And what's this all mean? Got it? What is it? What's it not? What's this all mean? You with me? Pinch your neighbor if they're falling asleep. It's okay. I learned that that's okay. And, and, I'm sorry. Anyway. Uh, so we're going to continue. We're going to continue. You ready? And uh, what I need to do is I need to take you to school. So you didn't know this, but you signed up for a, a class at seminary today. And the class that you signed up for today, without even knowing it, um, you're at seminary, is hermeneutics. You are in hermeneutics class. And um, I just think that's an awesome word. I just, you know, whoever made that up is awesome. Anyway, so why don't we say this together? One, two, three, hermeneutics. And you're like, what is this the study of? Is this a study of Herman? I don't know. Uh, it's not the study of Herman. This is, bad joke, the study of translating. It's learning how do you translate the Bible. And lesson one in any good hermeneutics class, and what I'm going to get into, is the importance of context. Context. Let's say context together. You ready? Very good. You're with me. Good students. I'm ready to go. All right. Context is what surrounds what is said. It is the words before, the words after. It's who's talking. Why are they saying it? Is it the first discourse, the second? It is everything surrounding what we said. And we never see the importance of context more than in an election year. Because when you see those ads, which I just, am, I'm just waiting to see. I just love those ads. You know, those, those derogatory ads about other people. I just love seeing them. They're awesome. That's sarcasm. Anyway, what we know is that they take things out of context in order to condemn that 
proponent of whatever he's, you know, whatever. They take it out of context to flip what they said, and we see it often in politics. To give an example, let's say someone is flipping what I said. Let's say uh, someone was known saying that this is what I said, um, that uh, Pastor B said, I'll let my daughter date just anyone. Now, now, this would be flipping out of context because if you know me, you know this isn't the case at all. And uh, some of you saw that Kevin Hart commercial with the Hyundai and following the guy around dating the daughter. Yeah, I'll take it to a whole nother level, people. You know, they don't even know. Got cell phone tracking on you, baby. You don't even know. Find people, I'll find you. Anyway, um, so, so what you need to know is this couldn't be further from my heart, but it could be ripped out of the context, for this is something that I would more naturally say. This would be the whole of the context. You're crazy to think that I'll let my daughter date just anyone. Right? That is the whole of what I was saying. And, uh, and, and so I've even trained my daughter, what do you look for in a date? Someone who knows Jesus, so we're working on it and, and going from there. So we're, we're training this and uh, we're, we're getting to it. These important things. Right. Don't rip it out of context. This is important in, in this regard. When you look at all the sections of communion, what we're talking about, you need to understand this principle that I believe after researching this to the nth degree, I've been over these passages and studied. I invite you to study. Don't let me do your studying for you. Study this. Study this. Study this. Do you get it? Read your Bibles. But I believe the context points to literal language. Everything surrounding, everything that follows after is a literal discourse. And this is how I know because I know when Jesus is speaking figuratively. An example of figurative language is a metaphor like, I am the vine and you are the branches. Remember that one in John 15? I'm the vine, you are the branches. And then he explains that metaphor by saying, if you stay connected to me, you'll produce much fruit. And he explains, okay, that was a figure. Jesus ain't a tree, right? He would also use simile um, in his figurative language. He would often use parables saying, the kingdom of God is like. And then he'd tell the story. There was a son who ran away from the family, and then he came back, and the father welcomed him with open arms. And this is all a picture of the heart of God over sinners who come back. And, and this is a big picture language. It's figurative language. When you study these accounts, it's like a news reporter was on the scene just detailing the literal things that were said. And look how Paul got this lesson. Verse 23. What was his lesson? Who was his teacher? It wasn't Pastor B. Um, For I received from the Lord what I passed down to you. So Paul wasn't in the upper room, but Jesus would show up directly to him on this to teach this. That's how important it was. And, And this is the literal language then that he got was what follows next, which was similar to what the 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 Matthew, Mark, and Luke all recorded in the upper room, the same discourse. So then when we approach these words, look at verse 24, understanding this literally, here again, maybe with fresh eyes or fresh ears, what Jesus says. He says, this, now pause there, this is a reference to the bread. So the bread is still there. This is talked about in Jesus' words, in Paul's words, through Jesus. This is my body. Is my body. What does is mean? Means is. Means is. Yeah. In fact, this, this never means like, it never means represents, it never means symbolizes. Is is a Greek word named I me. That's the Greek word for it, and it always means is. This, the bread, is 
my body. Look, look now at verse 25. He said also, this cup, which is a reference to the wine, not the cup itself. So the wine, this, reference there, is my blood. Is my blood. We see literal language once again. So what is the Lord's Supper? I think there are four parts, if you understand this literally. And the four parts are the bread, which was symbolized by this. This is talked about. And the body, which is also there in a miraculous way. The wine, which was part of the cup. And also the blood, which is what is referenced there. So, first point, what is the Lord's Supper? It is the true body and blood of Jesus with the bread and wine for forgiveness. Four parts. And maybe even better than that it's body and blood, but what it's for. For forgiveness. So that my children can know I love them. <laughs> even on Valentine's Day and every time they celebrate it so they might have a gift of my love. There's more. There's more. Um, and, and to describe this, have you ever needed to just gather as a family and it doesn't mean you don't like other people, but you just needed some family time. You know what I'm talking about? You ever close down the doors and say, sorry, but only family right now. And, and maybe there's like, you know, some major life discussion going on, a crisis, you know, a change. I remember when um, I, I got into a, an environment that was only for family. Um, I was visiting one of my best friends in grade school, and it was the funeral for his mom. Saw him, hadn't seen him in years. And um, so glad to be there. Um, but then they had a meal afterwards. And, and, and at the table, there, there was just the, the immediate family. And the immediate family are those who gathered the siblings, uh, the, 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 the kids, and, and they were just going to hash it out. And I remember being invited to eat with them and their immediate family. Now, do I have any right to be in that intimate gathering? No, I don't. Would I have been offended if I wasn't called up? No, I wouldn't. Because what I understand is that that was going to be an intimate gathering. It sure was. See, they had recently also lost um, the, the, the father. Uh, so my best friend would now be parentless. Um, and, and they were just talking about uh, those differences and how the siblings, and it was a very intimate conversation. We understand that sometimes it's just an intimate gathering, don't we? Based on that example. Sometimes, it's not an offense, and it's not that we don't love other people, but sometimes... We just gather intimately because it's for family. Back to the Lord's Supper. When Jesus instituted it in the upper room, who was it with? Was it with outsiders or family? It was with family, wasn't it? It was with those who were dearest to him on earth, the twelve disciples. When he was instituting it, he gathered not just with everyone, but just with family. When Paul is talking to the Christians in Corinth, he isn't talking to the whole city, is he? No, he's talking to the believers, those who say, I follow Jesus, and, and those who have said, I've come out and, and Jesus is my Savior. And it's a very intimate thing for those believers. So here's where I'm going. What is it? Well, this is what it is. It's an intimate meal. This, this was always meant to be for those who believe in Jesus. And this doesn't mean you don't care for other people at all. Just as in a funeral, it doesn't, matter, it doesn't mean you don't care about your friends. It's just not that, that setting for it. This is for believers who are united 
It's that intimate gathering to remember our chief, our best love, our Savior. And so those are a few things of what it is. And some of you might come and say, you know, well, Pastor, that first point of, you know, his body and blood really being there, well, that doesn't even make sense. You're right. (laughs) It doesn't. We also need to know in, in faith life, and this is like lesson 30 or something, it's way down the line, is that faith will defy our logic. There are going to be a ton of things that don't make sense. And, and why wouldn't that be if God is really above us? If God is there as the potter and we are the pot, how, how much more wisdom shouldn't he have? And, and who would have searched out the mind of God? I mean, consider the resurrection. Does anyone know scientifically how the resurrection happened? I don't but my faith is built upon it. Jesus said, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Does anyone know how Jesus can be everywhere and prove it scientifically? I don't, but I believe it to my core. Some might say, how can Jesus' true body and blood really be in the sacrament? And and can he explain it logically? I can't explain it logically, but I believe because Jesus said it and my faith defies any logic. Gotcha? You guys are doing good. I haven't seen anyone fall asleep yet. So that is, I mean, for a teaching day, you know. um, So we've learned what it is, right? It's an intimate meal for forgiveness, true body and blood. Now we need to discuss in brief what it's not. And here I need to be careful because you need to know at my core, I don't think I'm a better Christian than anyone. I really don't. I'm just happy to know Jesus. And I don't want to have a church that is like uh, against stuff, like an us versus them mentality over other Christians. When we get to heaven, Christians who believe in Jesus will be there united by common faith in the Savior. Are we straight with that? We are not the only ones who are going to be in heaven. Okay, I want to be very clear on that. But to my core, I don't know how to do faith well unless you go by what Scripture says. And I'm a pastor of this church body primarily because I believe what they teach. And I'm not trying to speak for you, but I would say that's a good approach to any church. That you would unite yourself with what they teach and what they believe. So with that, it is with humility and respect I'm going to say what it's not, but I need to do it to clarify, if that makes sense. And this is a gathering based on Scripture that I want to clarify. So first, what I believe it's not. Um, It is not a representation of the body and blood. And for this, I'd have you go to verse 27. Let's look at verse 27 again. 27 says, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in another way of the man will be guilty of sinning against what? Body and blood. You can sin against the body and blood. Now, how could you sin against the body and blood if it were not there? Answer, we think it's there. We believe it's there. We believe we have enough evidence to say Jesus' true body and blood are there. Verse 29, if this wasn't enough. For those who eat and drink without discerning the what? The body, once again, you should discern, understand it's there. Um, Literally, um, this is what's going on in that supper. Um, We don't believe it's a representation. Next, and I'm just going to go briefly, but I also uh, don't believe Scripture says it's only the body and blood without the bread and wine. Um, And here, again, remember the words, this is still pointing to the bread. And this cup is still pointing to the wine. 
Um, some have thought it changes over all completely into the other, and they said, well, how could both presences be there? How could it just be the body and the bread at the same time? I would have you um, understand also the, the dual nature of Jesus. This is a deep sermon, by the way. Uh, the dual nature of Jesus is that he is true man and true God at the same time. How can that be? Did I tell you about faith-defying logic yet? Did I tell you, did, did, did we did discuss that yet? Because faith defies our logic. We, we don't know how he can be all God and all man. We don't know how he can be all bread and all body. And yet, this is what we find. More. More on this. Um, what it's not. I believe it isn't an open outreach event. <laughs> and at my core, you need to know, I don't think I'm better and I hate to exclude people. And I hate to make them feel unwelcomed at my core. <laughs> at my core. Um, but I don't think it's an open outreach event. And, and this is why when, when Peter was um, preaching at Pentecost, remember that sermon last week? Um, and all of them were new to Jesus. He said, repent and be baptized. Because baptism was for all, for anyone, for children, for anyone to come and receive baptism. But what he didn't say was repent and receive the Lord's Supper. And we don't see that as like the first step for any new Christian is repent and now just dive into the Lord's Supper. Because what we find is that even though this is a great thing to receive, it does have, it does have rules. It does have restrictions. We, we learned in verse 27, you can actually sin against the body and blood if you receive it unworthily. We, we said in verse 28, you have to examine yourself. We'll talk about that. And so it, it isn't just this free-for-all open anyone can come because it's not that open. And this is weird culturally. It's totally foreign culturally. We don't go to many places where we're told we can't do something. Am I right? In fact, I was trying to find some examples and it was hard to come by. Uh, the best example I found was a, a brew pub. Um, look at this rule. It says, anyone, any person requesting an apple teeny or Bud Light will be asked to leave the premises. <laughs> you know, and uh, I'm not sure if they like enforce that one, you know. But it'd be weird nonetheless to like say, really, I can't be here because I asked for an apple teeny. I guess so. Or, or it's weird if you've ever been to a restaurant that said, you weren't dressed properly, you can't come in. You know? Or if you're in a 7-Eleven and it was you know, in the beach area and you didn't have shoes on and they're like, get out, no shoes, no service, right? And uh, you know, it happens. You might have been at a club where you weren't dressed right, you were wearing jeans and couldn't get let in and, and go from there. And we're used to you know, um, you know, rules, but it's foreign to us because it doesn't happen very often. The rules found here are less about being cool and less about being hip and anything like that. And the rules I see in communion are, are more like the rules given here. Now, why can't little Johnny go on the roller coaster? Because they're just out to get them. You know, you, you have a theme park to stop the fun, and this is their attempt to stop the fun. Right? No! Little Johnny can't get on the roller coaster because it wasn't built for him. And he might slip out of the harness, and that would be a problem. Right? Fair? It was the same heart. It is with the same heart that there are rules around the Lord's Supper. Not because you're not hip, not because you're not cool, but because you could get hurt if you didn't see that already. And I believe an honest approach to the Word of God is to try to help people so they don't get hurt. 
is try to teach them, even if it's complex and even if it's new because it's what God said, rather than just give in and say, whatevs. So we teach this. And we say it's important to know what communion is and what it isn't. And it's dear because it was taught by Jesus. And he told us, teach them everything I commanded. Everything. Even 1 Corinthians 11, 27 to 29. But maybe some of you came in squared away with all this. If so, that's awesome. If not, that's okay. A lot of people are still wondering, okay, Pastor, now that the teaching is done, what does this all mean? And that's what I want to get to. So let's end on a high note asking what does all mean. When we look at verse 28, let's look at that passage. What's it all mean? It says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat and drink it. Examine. What this literally means is to repent. And what I find is that one of the things it means to this day is how important it is to repent. Repentance is this process where I say, what, what, is, what am I sorry about that, that wasn't God's will? It's not just that. It's also, am I, am I believing I'm forgiven? Do, am I assured that, that Jesus died for me? Because that's also part of repentance. And the third part is, I want to change. I was guilty of it, but I never want to do it again. Uh, God, change my life radically. Take all hold of me. I surrender all so that you could change who I am today, so I could be radically different tomorrow. And this is truly important um, for any communion service, for anyone who lives in Christ, to really say, God, you, you have all of me. Change it. It kind of reminds me of people who want to drastically self-improve but never want to change. Sometimes I see commercials for a pill you can take that will help you lose 50 pounds, uh, but you don't have to exercise or change your diet. Now, I don't know about, I'm skeptical, okay? A um, little skeptical. Or, or the person who says, you know, tomorrow I'd like to be a virtuoso in the violin. Now, is that person going to just wake up and like, you know? That was my best impression, by the way. Um, <laughs> No, no, you have to do drastic change to change who you are or to learn something and you have to give yourself over to that discipline and be willing to do new things and try new things and work really hard at it. And so when you come to the Lord, I just want you to know the best attitude is to say, God, whatever you want me to be, that's what I want to be. Whatever you want to change, you have had it. Wherever you want me to go, I'm going to go there because you want it and I'm just all yours. But then the wrong attitude and something to be aware of is to come up to communion or to be in Christ and say, God, you know, um, I'm going to come up soon and I'm going to ask you to forgive me, but uh, you need to know I'm going to do it again. You know, kind of looking forward to it. Or, or you, you might make this deal with God. God, I'm going to come to you and call myself a Christian, but I hope you're okay with this, this, and this. Is God okay with this, this, and this? No. And this is the sinful attitude we need to be real with and turn from if it's at all part of us. Because Jesus gave us his whole life and his whole body. And in response, he asks for yours. He says, as I gave my whole life and my whole body so you could be a forgiven child of God. So that's, that's what I ask for too. Your whole life. Everything about you. And it's okay, my ways are good. It's okay, you might fall again, but, but I ask for it all. The importance of change and repentance.
one final thing it means. It speaks of a reunion. A reunion. You know, this was kind of a tough week at the Amazing Love Church family. And uh, we're, we're a pretty small church body, and so people mean a lot to us. They always do. Um, and uh, one of the things that happened was uh, one of our friends, Jim Campbell, was called home to heaven. And, uh, you know, we'll have the funeral service tomorrow for anyone to celebrate the resurrection. Um, and uh, this is a picture of uh, Jim Campbell and obviously, you know, Foodie Judy. And uh, they're, they're dear on our hearts. Uh, we know where Jim is, though, right? He is at home with, with, with the Lord. And uh, we know of some sure things. That as sure as I have breath in my lungs, as sure as it's cold outside, as sure as this place is called Amazing Love, that we're going to be gathered in a great reunion with Jesus and Jim and all who believe. And we are assured of that. It's a matter of time. matter of time when we gather with all those that we love and celebrate forever. And as we celebrate the reunion that will take place for Judy and for all of us, so similarly, in the Lord's Supper, do you know you have a chance to have a reunion? That is what Jesus is offering you. If you've ever wondered where He was, if you ever said, I miss Him, I wish I could have known Him, communion, this miraculous meal, is a way that He shows up and says, have a mini-reunion, be reunited with Me. Consider this passage. It says, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ. This is also, by the way, why we believe blood and body are there. If it was just Christ himself, it would have left out blood and body. But anyway, you have a reunion with Jesus. When you come up here and receive his true body and blood, you're united with your best friend, the one you'll someday see with your own eyes, the one that Jim is looking at right now, the one that we celebrate is the one we receive in the sacrament. And how awesome it is. Because he was going to leave his disciples. And I don't know about you, but he left me too. And I haven't seen him yet with my own eyes, even though I will, but I want to receive him often for forgiveness, for the love of God, and he offers it this day. This is an awesome thing. This is a gift with rules and restrictions, but it is a gift nonetheless. May we celebrate this miraculous meal. And now let me pray for you. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, change my heart completely. Let me be yours. As I receive who you are, continue to empower me to be an example for you, but, but let me be assured that I am saved, that I am forgiven through this meal, and that I am with you. In Jesus' name, amen.